Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. Can we please get Taylor Swift to a better football game? Hi, I'm Dave Hellman, and I hope your weekend is shaping up to be a lot more fun than Chiefs Broncos. We are coming out of Thursday night football. It's Friday. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Denver Broncos 19 to 8 in what I can only describe as a game of American football. That's all I got. Taylor Swift was there. Don't whine about it. Her being there was arguably more entertaining than what we saw. Kind of kidding. Not really kidding. Maybe this is just a theme for last year's Super Bowl participants. We've talked about it a lot in the NFC with the Philadelphia Eagles and over in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs just kind of stacking wins while they figure out who they are. And to this point, I'm not really sure, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, Kansas City five and one. We're, we're feeling good about it. Wins are wins. Division wins are even better. But the Kansas City Chiefs still seem like they're trying to find their way on offense. They score 19 points in this game. Five trips to the red zone. Just one touchdown to Kadarius Tony in the first half. Just a field goal fest. Looked like a total snoozer. Denver scores a late touchdown to make it mildly interesting. Kansas City gets the cover which I knew I know was important in our studio. Hopefully it was big for you as well. Not overly entertaining football though. You could even convince me the Kansas city chiefs were just, just trying stuff, just throwing stuff at the wall because against the worst defense in the NFL, Denver 32nd in DVOA coming into this game, they were just out there just having a, a grand old time. We saw Kansas city run a fake field goal sneak a reverse flea flicker and a wildcat package just throwing all the trick plays out. I mean, the passing game's not working all that well. Travis Kelsey doing his thing for with nine for one twenty four, but that's about it. Rasheed rice with another solid day, but it sure looks like Patrick Mahomes is still trying to, to get on the same page with his wide receivers to really get the chiefs moving as explosively as they're used to. They only go four of 13 on third down. Just a lot of hallmarks that we're not used to. They fail to score 20 points. They're only averaging 24 and a half points per game this season. If you throw out the 41 point explosion against Chicago a few weeks ago, it's even worse than that. 21 points per game. They fail to crack 20 in this game. They score exactly 20 against Detroit, 17 against Jacksonville, 21 points per game easily. Easily the worst of the Patrick Mahomes era, typically a top three to five scoring offense, number one in the league last year. And yet a fairly stress-free win against the division rival Denver Broncos. They have now won 16 straight games against Denver. It's the longest active streak in the NFL. Denver hasn't beaten Kansas city since 2015. Patrick Mahomes was running around doing stuff at Texas tech. The last time Denver got one over on their division rivals, Patrick Mahomes, 80 and 20 as a starter. So like I said, I'm not worried if I'm a Kansas city chiefs fan, maybe it's frustrating. Maybe it's concerning watching these types of performances. You're still looking for some element of your passing offense, not named Travis Kelsey to step up. Maybe you're frustrated because Andy Reid's breaking out all the goofy plays on one night, but 
Patrick Mahomes, 80 and 20 as a starter. That is a, that is a video game number. The Kansas city chiefs moved to five and one. They've got the chargers next week, which is not usually an easy out. The chiefs have success against them because they have success against everybody, but chargers played them within a touchdown for the last two years. But if they can win that game, now you're really talking about having a stranglehold over the division. Considering what we've seen from the chiefs offense, I don't think there's too much you should be concerned about. And a big chunk of that is the flip side. Say all that stuff about how bored I am by watching the chiefs play offense recently, but their defense playing as well as it ever has. They get two interceptions in this game. They hold the Broncos to one score touchdown and a two point conversion at the end of the game. The chiefs have allowed 10 points or less to half of their opponents, 14 and a half points. And typically, but we know the chiefs have good defensive players. We know Chris Jones is there, but you don't think of the chiefs as a, as a defense that can do the heavy lifting. You think of the chiefs as a complimentary defense that, They'll get the the handful of stops that you need, and the offense is going to score 30-plus, and that'll be fine. But the Chiefs' defense is holding people down. Have they done it against a truly top-notch offense? Maybe you could say Jacksonville, but the Jaguars have not been remotely as good as we thought they would be, and they certainly haven't been consistent. We'll see what they look like against Justin Herbert and the guys next week, but as long as you have 15... And on top of that, you have a defense that can hold people to 14 points or less. Yeah, we're not worried about the Kansas City Chiefs. On the Denver side of things, dark times, man. It already was, but this game just kind of a microcosm of what's wrong in Denver. Before the game even starts, we've got Jerry Judy arguing with sideline analysts about who knows? Go go watch the clip on social media. I beg of you if you haven't seen it. Players arguing with analysts at the game. Sean Payton's play sheet leaks on national TV. I, at, By the time we're posting this, he's got to know about it. He can't be happy about that. I mean, it's right there in 4K. Not a great look. Russell Wilson gets sacked four times. The Broncos finish with less than 200 yards of offense. And oh, by the way, they're one in five. We said earlier this week, we did a whole show about it. It makes sense if the Broncos start considering moving some of their valuable assets in trades, trying to get what they can. This game just underscores it. I don't see the Broncos going anywhere. Certainly not in a division that they share with the Chiefs. We called them sellers, and I think that's the case. So there you go. I summarized it. I hope you didn't spend your Thursday night watching it, or if you did... I hope you're a Taylor Swift fan. Either way, Kansas City Chiefs, onward and upward. Let's talk about, speaking of defense, a defensive struggle out on the East Coast, the 49ers and the Cleveland Browns Sunday morning. I am joined now by my good friend, Greg Olson, who is calling the game. And Greg, I do emphasize defense here because as we found out this week, it won't be Deshaun Watson going against the 5-0 49ers, it'll be P.J. Walker. I can't stop thinking about this. The guy, not that this is his first start or anything, he played well for Carolina last year, but this is a different animal. To go from practice squad two weeks ago to getting elevated, and now P.J. Walker is tasked with doing something against the San Francisco defense. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, obviously, that's not how anybody foresaw, you know, the season going. There was a lot of expectations. And the way the season started with, with Cleveland, I think they felt pretty good. Um, you know, had their best game against, you know, in, in their win against Tennessee right before the bye. And then they found out, obviously, that, you know, against Baltimore, well, I guess two weeks before the bye, they, they, they win really big and, and play pretty well, probably their best game. And Deshaun Watson plays really well. And then they find out he's not going to play against Baltimore before the bye in week four. And obviously the, the offense really struggled without him. So you factor in, you know, losing your starting quarterback never is easy. Now all of a sudden you go to who was on paper, PJ Walker being your third quarterback. Um, and then, right. oh, by the way, you've got to play probably the best team in the league, um, the best defense in the league, the best roster in the league, and who is just bludgeoning everybody. So it's a it's a tall order. You know, I, I still think He's there's a some cake, optimism. Yeah. yeah, I I still think there's some optimism that that Deshaun Watson can play, but um I think, I, I think whether he plays or not, you know, it's that's a challenging defense there in San Francisco. So they're going to have to come out with a great game plan, and, um, and they're going to have to play the best they've played all year for sure. In my experience, I get it. Everybody in the NFL is supremely confident. Everybody's there for a reason. But I was curious from your perspective, do you remember a time, whether it was early in your career or maybe maybe even going all the way back to Miami, do you remember a time where – you got your assignment for the week and you were like, holy crap, uh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I was fortunate. I was never on a team that was just bad. So I, I think if you're Cleveland, you feel the same way because they're by no, I mean, they're they're a very good team. Their defense is, you know, if if San Francisco's defense is number one, Cleveland might be one B, right? I, I think mm-hmm. I think they're that good. I, I think that matchup is is very good. So I, I don't think by any means Cleveland's going into this game saying, oh, my God, we have no chance. Um, I think they feel very confident in their defense. Jim Schwartz is a fantastic defensive coordinator. I think Stefanski is a very good play caller, very good scheme. So they'll, they'll have a good plan, and their defense will keep them in it, um, you know, most weeks. Uh, I, I think any team that loses their starting quarterback, there's a feeling of, okay, what? how do we readjust? How do we reset? So – I was fortunate. I never played on a team where I ever felt like coming in, we had no shot. I mean, there were teams where I felt, you know, there were teams I was on that were a lot better than others. Um, and I knew that our pathways to victory, I, I think the best way you can put it in the NFL, every team has a path to victory every single week. Certain teams have more paths to victory and certain teams right. have more margin for error. The better your team is, the more you can weather mistakes, the more you can weather being off in one aspect of your game or not. The teams that only have one singular, you know, path to victory are the teams that struggle. I don't think, I don't think Cleveland falls into that mode at all. I think that when you can play top level defense in this league, you're always going to have a shot and then they just got to get their offense. You know, we'll figure out the quarterback and come up with a plan from there. You mentioned it. The Browns are, I mean, the 49ers are amazing on defense, but the Browns have been right there with them for most of the season. I mean, phenomenal in whatever metric you want to use. I am curious, and and it goes along with the idea that the Browns haven't had their quarterback. The Ravens were able to take advantage of them when Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie, was starting a couple weeks ago. Did you see or or do you see anything that the Ravens were able to take advantage of? Or, which is my guess, is that uh, having a rookie quarterback put that Browns defense in, in a few compromised positions in that game. Yeah, I, I think it's there's 100% that's a factor. I, I think any time you have an offense that's struggling, at some point, the amount of possessions that your defense faces 
just the sheer probability, just playing the odds. At some point, these are NFL players on the other side too. They're going to break through. You know, and it's very, you know, it's very hard to play top level defense in the league when it's three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, and you just keep going back on the field. And you know, all right, if they score one touchdown, the game might be over. It, it's just hard to play in that framework. And I, I think there was a little bit of an element of that, but I also think there was an element of what Lamar Jackson brings, the style of offense that you're going to face, both from the quarterback, the play design. They've kind of built that entire thing around his play style. It's a very non-traditional NFL offense. So I think all of a sudden you go all year playing against, you know, more prototypical, t- you know, offenses and schemes and formations and quarterback play style. Anytime you play Baltimore, it is going to be an adjustment. You get one week to prepare for it. Um, you know, obviously they have a lot of familiarity with them, playing them a lot over the years and being in the division and whatnot. But still, it's hard to simulate what Baltimore does from a design, from a scheme, and then the guy playing quarterback. So I think it's a combination of all of those things. Um, but again, this week is no different. I mean, with the style of play and what San Francisco is able to do against you on offense, the the myriad of weapons, the play design, Kyle Shannon is probably the best play caller and play designer in the NFL. It's the combination of talent and scheme is a very up. It's a very challenge. You know, we saw, we saw last week's game. We saw the Sunday night game, you know, Dallas has a really good offense. Dan Quinn is as good a coach in the NFL. They struggled. It is a tough offense to stop. And, uh, you know, Jim Schwartz will have to come up with a really good plan, and I'm sure he will. Which I I understand. Um, nobody in the NFL has been able to do this so far. This is a tall, this is a tough question to answer. But I mean, wh- where I, I I assume you're you're gonna you're always gonna start with slowing down the run game. It, it's something that Kyle Shanahan teams have always been really good at. But where so many people have failed to throw off Brock Purdy where would you start to try to do that? I mean, it doesn't seem like you could get away with playing a lot of man defense against this, against this offense, but maybe the Browns are equipped to do that with their secondary. I mean, where would you try to start to come up with a game plan to get him off his game? Yeah, I think that's the the question everybody in the league right now is sitting up in late meetings, trying to figure out, um, you know, I think the, the question you brought up about man coverage is, is a really interesting one. And, and it's one that we have kind of real high on our board, getting ready to go into the game. The, the Browns play single high man coverage more than more than any team in the league. That is what they do. They want to be aggressive off the edge. They want to rush the passer, stop, stop the run, force you in the pass and say, I dare you to block Miles Garrett. And we're going to man you up. And that ball better come out fast because if you don't, Miles Garrett is going to be in your lap. That that's their style. Right. And, and it's, and it's, it's a very effective one. With that said, the interchangeable pieces that San Francisco has on offense makes them very hard to match man. For instance, if I have Christian McCaffrey and I'm the strong safety or I'm a line, I'm an outside linebacker, whatever the personnel is, but now Christian McCaffrey's out at wide receiver and my, my nickel corner has Debo Samuel, but now Debo Samuel standing next to Brock Purdy in the backfield for that nickel corner to guard Debo Samuel, he's got to line up at linebacker. And now my linebacker, who's got Christian McCaffrey, is lined up at, out at defensive back, guarding him on the perimeter. The entire construction of the defense breaks down when you want to go match, match, match. I got you. I got you. I got you. It's a hard, it's a hard scheme to man up because when they break the huddle, you don't know where everyone's going to line up. You don't know what the formation is going to look like from a personnel standpoint. So that's a challenge. I, I think that has been something teams have struggled against this version of the 49ers since you know since Christian got there last year. So I'll be very interested to see how, what, what Schwartz's 
adjustment. You know, you don't want to just all of a sudden reinvent yourself, but you also have to make sure you play, play the game that you're playing. So um, I think that's a really good question. How would I stop them? I, I would try to, you got to win on early downs, right? You have to take them out of downs where the option to run or pass is the same. And that's winning on first and second down, forcing them into must throws, forcing them into must pass downs where they can't use, you know, their action game. They can't use their boot game. They can't use their, you know, all their misdirection run. You have to force them into passing downs. Now, having said that Brock Purdy has been fantastic on those downs too. So I don't know if there is a clear path. I think you have to make things as difficult as possible for them, make them as one dimensional as possible for them. And then you're going to have to have some things go your way. You got to get a couple sacks. You got to get a couple turnovers. You got to get a couple tip passes that go to bounce the right way. I think that's the formula. If that is even a formula, but good teams don't really have a formula to beat them. You got to be creative. Right. It kind of, it reminds me, I think it was November when the chargers played the dolphins last year, Brandon Staley had a really great game plan for Miami. And it's one of those, if I'm going to say, if not when, if somebody comes up with a way to make San Francisco look discombobulated i think that's going to be a game that the whole league fixates on uh just because it seems like such a tough thing to do i want to ask you one, quickly one more thing this is, i mean we we talked about them but this is a game with two of the five best edge rushers in the nfl nick bosa and miles garrett i'm personally not interested in who's better but i would love a snapshot of what makes each of these guys so special like what do they do best that puts them where they are Man, it's funny you say that. One of the other things that, you know, is is fun about this game, you know, defensively speaking, is, you know, three of, call it, the top five defensive player of the years, right? You throw T.J. Watt in there. You throw Micah Parsons in there. But between Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, and Miles Garrett, you got three guys that are – they're in the group. How big the group is, we could probably go back and forth and debate on. But they're they're for sure in the group, the three of them. So I think it's fun from that standpoint. But specifically with Bosa and Miles Garrett – the thing about Bosa is he's going to play damn near every snap. He's just as if you have to account for him just as much rushing the passer on third down as you do on first and 10, if you decide to run the ball, like he is, there's, there's guys who get sacks and then there's guys who impact the game on every snap. He's one of the handful of guys along with miles Garrett, along with Watt, along with, you know, Micah and those guys who they can affect the game, even if they're not rushing the passer. And that is what separates the elite edge guys and the other guys who are going to get 10, 12 sacks a game a year and are going to make a lot of money and you're happy they're on your team, but they're not changing the game for 50 snaps. And I think that's what separates Bosa and Garrett. I think they're just so physical. They play with such an edge. They're relentless. They're, they're, they're as physical as they are fast. They're as smart as they are physical. It's just, there's very few guys that check all those boxes. And um, we got two of the premier Yes, two of the premier edge rushers, but we have two of the premier players in the NFL period on both sides of the ball, no matter who has it. So I know that's going to be a big, uh, a big factor for us and something that we're pretty interested in. If you are a fan of good defense, I mean, good everything in this game, but if you are a fan of good defense, this is definitely one to tune in for. Greg, enjoy the call. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Greg and KB are in Cleveland this weekend, but America's game of the week is at MetLife Stadium. The Philadelphia Eagles traveling right up the interstate to face the New York Jets. And I'm not sure what's more surprising that in 52 years, the Jets and the Eagles have only played 12 games. I guess the math checks out. They're, they're in different conferences. You play every four years. Okay, I get it. 
but the Eagles are 12 and 0 in those games. The Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Jets, two storied franchises, been around for a long, long time. 12 games, Eagles 12 and 0. I don't know if this is the year the Jets break the streak, but we'll see. I'm looking at the trenches in this game. Offensive line has been an issue going back to training camp for the New York Jets. It's unfortunately not getting a whole lot better. Elijah Vera Tucker, who had been playing right tackle for them, goes on IR with a torn Achilles. Sounds like an awfully favorable matchup for the Philadelphia Eagles. Guy by the name of Hassan Reddick likes to play over right tackle. All three of his sacks and four of his five quarterback hits have come in the Eagles last two games. So a guy that's really starting to heat up after a slow couple games to start the season probably deserved a little more defensive player of the year love than he got last season. I think this is, this is a big chance for the Eagles pass rush. It's looked good all year, but this could be a big chance to really pile up some of the counting stats. Obviously Jalen Carter continuing to have an amazing rookie season. Josh sweat, maybe a guy that'll get in on the action. It's kind of a bummer because Zach Wilson's been playing well. Bummer for, for Jets fans, I guess I should clarify. Eagles fans, I'm sure, would love to get back to that 70-sack pace that they had last year. But Zach Wilson has been playing well the last two weeks. It's a favorable matchup. The Eagles secondary is, is injured. They've lost starters. It hasn't looked all that clean. They gave up plays to the Rams last week, particularly in the first half. I just don't know how much time he's going to have to throw. If the Jets' offensive line continues to be as compromised as it has been, and you're losing another starter, it could be a long afternoon of trying to find time to look for guys downfield. Really fun matchup on the other side of this too. The Eagles offensive line, obviously it goes without saying best in the NFL, first in pass in run block win rate, fourth in pass block win rate. They do everything really, really well. They run the ball. They haven't been allowing sacks. They've barely been even allowing pressures, but the New York Jets are the best pass rush that they've seen. It's the highest one, the highest graded pass rush that the Eagles have played all year. And if you think back to the beginning of the season, yes, the birds have been dominant against Tampa Bay, Washington, and Los Angeles with all due respect to Aaron Donald, who's kind of a one man show in LA right now. Those units have not been producing even Washington with all of the names on that line. They have not been producing at as good of a clip as the New York Jets in terms of winning their matchups. Think back to week one and week two. Eagles play New England and Minnesota. Eagles gave up five sacks and 18 hurries in those two games. Still a phenomenal offensive line, but I guess you would say they looked mortal against the pass rush in those two games. So this is a chance for the Jets to get some wins. Easier, easier said than done, obviously, with Jalen Hurts' mobility and with the studs that they have up front. But I'm curious to see that chess match. Same thing goes for the run game. If there is a unit that can stop the brotherly shove, it's got to be this one, right? You got Quentin Williams in the middle. You got Quentin Jefferson next to him. You got eight other pass rushers. The Jets go too deep at every position. And then behind them, you got Quincy Williams and CJ Mosley, a very, very underrated linebacker duo. If somebody can stop it, I think it's the Jets. No idea if they can. I lean toward no. But if somebody can do it, I think it's the New York Jets. 125 Pacific time. I guess that's 435 out on the East Coast. Should be a doozy. Hopefully the Jets continue this run of playing much more watchable football. 
But Zach Wilson, I think that Eagles pass rush is going to make life difficult on you. Let's jump ahead in time. We'll call this one the take bowl. It's happening right here in Los Angeles on Monday night. I think with where these two teams are, you have to give Cowboys chargers a little bit of standalone love. Like I said, this is, this is two teams that are whatever happens Monday night in this game. The loser is going to be the centerpiece of every podcast and talk show, because that's what happens. It's the Dallas Cowboys. They're coming off their 32 point beating against the 49ers last week. The chargers actually had a bye week but we know all about the chargers started the season. zero and two climbed out of it, but it's Brandon Staley. It's Justin Herbert, whether it's the playoff collapse that they don't like to talk about, or whether it's the way that they are rarely able to string together true winning streaks. It always seems like something's going wrong for them. So no matter the outcome, people like me are going to be able to have just absolutely incendiary hot takes about it. And it's going to be so, so toxic. Whoever loses this game, whether, I mean, think from the Cowboys perspective, you start the season two and oh, you're thought of as a juggernaut. You're thought of as a heavyweight favorite. If you lose this game, you fall to two and three after such a promising start. It's going to be bad for Dak Prescott. It's going to be bad for Mike McCarthy. And like I just said, we can count on Brandon Staley doing something bold, albeit maybe ill-advised. We can count on Justin Herbert being the centerpiece of this because he has to do everything for the chargers more often than not. It's going to be wild. No matter what happens, I will say on the bright side for the Cowboys, this trip West will probably be a little more hospitable than the last one. Cowboys. They travel really well. Roll your eyes at the America's team thing. All you want, but the Cowboys are well represented in every stadium. They play apparently not the case in Santa Clara last week, though. That building was red. Did not see a ton of Cowboys support. That won't be the case at SoFi Stadium. It's a very, LA is a very pro Cowboy crowd in case you're unaware. Last time this matchup happened two years ago, Cowboys actually, they never needed to use a silent count. Like they just ran their offense as if they were at home, which is not usually a good sign when you're in the other team's arena. So good news for them. Then there's the big, big storyline. It's the Kellen Moore bowl. In addition to the hot take bowl, Kellen Moore, longtime offensive coordinator, former quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He oversaw one of the best offenses in the league for four years from 2019 to last season. When Dak Prescott was healthy, more often than not, the Cowboys were top five in all the major categories. First in total offense, fifth in scoring offense. Last year, they were first in scoring offense when Dak Prescott was healthy in the lineup. Kellen Moore, not fired but not retained. Mike McCarthy decided I'm going to take over the reins. I'm going to see where this thing goes. It's all well and good when you're blowing out overmatched opponents in the first few weeks, but you saw what a disaster the Cowboys offense looked like against San Francisco. They're currently, they are top 10 in scoring, but they are, they are middle of the pack in all of the offensive metrics. It's not going to look great. If Kellen Moore gets one over on the guy that chased him out of Dallas, it's just not, especially with the chargers offense functioning at a very high level right now. A couple things to watch. Justin Herbert broke a finger on his non-throwing hand. They had a week off. It's been a week and a half since he's had to play with it. But even if it's not on his throwing hand, I think that's, that is something that could uh, be a problem. If, if he takes a hit on a sack or a scramble or something like that, Austin Eckler coming back in this game for the first time since the season opener, Derwin James is expected back too. Here's, and this, this will be fun for my Cowboys people. 
49ers opponents are one and four in their next game so far this season. So the Steelers won their week two game after losing the opener to the Niners, but the Rams, the Giants, and the Cardinals have all lost in the week immediately after playing San Francisco. And Dallas's injury report, nothing too, too severe other than losing Leighton Vander Esch for the, for, for the time being, but they are beat up. That injury report is long. Playing the Niners is a physical, physical deal. I won't be surprised if that takes a toll. At least they get the extra day because it's Monday night. It isn't all bad news for the Cowboys, though. Bear with me here. I do think this this is a much more favorable matchup than the 49ers, obviously. Oh, shocking. Big insight, Dave. The Chargers aren't as good as the best team in the league. But there are some key areas where I think this matches up really well for the Cowboys, starting with their defense. They're 22nd in defensive DVOA. And that's even with an opportunity to play a rookie in Aiden O'Connell their last time out. This hasn't been a very good defense throughout the season. Teams have been able to put up points. Teams have been able to put up yards. Despite the fact that Khalil Mack got six sacks in that Raider game, they're just 24th in pass rush win rate. So I don't see the Dallas offensive line struggling quite as much as they did last week. I see Dak Prescott having more time to throw. On the other side of the ball, the Chargers are also 25th in pass block win rate, which means as invisible as the Dallas pass rush looked last week, I think they should have a little more luck getting home. I, I still think the Cowboys are a good team. I think that probably got lost in the toxicity of the week. They're still a tough out. They're favored in this game. There are two and a half point favorites in somebody else's building, which I think tells you, yes, it's, it's not all bad for the Cowboys. I think they've got a very good shot to win this. I do think it's a coin flip game. And I think whoever loses it is going to be in for an even rougher week because again, for the chargers, you spent all that time digging out of 0 and 2, and now you're right back under 500. You're right back in the grind of why can't y'all win these close games? Why are you always fighting to stay at or above 500? And then obviously the Cowboys blowing a start as impressive as what we saw from them in the first two or three weeks of the season. I'm here to tell you it won't be great, and I cannot wait to see what comes out of it Monday night. Let's take it back to Sunday. I love stories like this. This is the true meritocracy of the NFL. The Detroit Lions, never been to a Super Bowl, lovable losers, 22 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl heading into the preseason. The Buccaneers recently won a Super Bowl, but have been a complete afterthought or had been a complete afterthought since Tom Brady retired for the second time. 80 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. But here in week six, None of that matters because they are on top of their respective divisions and they have been flexed into a late afternoon window, the 4:30 window. They're going to have three times the audience that they would have before the season started. I love it. Way to go Buccaneers organization. Whoever decided to make this the creamsicle game. Good on you. Like this was decided months ago. I bet they didn't see this coming a four thirty kick with a lot, a lot of people watching bucks are going back to their creamsicle orange throwbacks. They've made a huge deal about it all week on social. It's going to look so good in HD TV. I cannot wait to see that shout out to sharp football analysis for my favorite stat researching this game. Jared Goff starting quarterback of the Detroit lions. This is his third season, two full years and some change. 57 career touchdown passes for the Lions so far. 
43 of those have come indoors at Ford Field, Lions Home Stadium, Fast Track, all that good stuff. Just 14 on the road. Even this year, it's bearing out. Seven passes at home, two touchdown passes on the road so far this year. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it means something. I don't know. I mean, the Lions had no problem scoring 34 points at Lambeau Field a couple weeks ago. They did manage just 20 in that game against Kansas City. And the Buccaneers have the defense to make life difficult on them. Another stat that I loved from Sharp Football Analysis. When Jared Goff is not blitzed, he is among top five, six quarterbacks in the NFL in both quarterback rating and yards per attempt. So clean pocket doesn't have to move. That's kind of the knock on Jared Goff is you don't want him having to maneuver too much using, use his feet too much top six in the NFL in those categories. When he's not blitzed 22nd and 26th in those categories, when he is blitzed. And if you know anything about Todd Bowles, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he likes to blitz 39% of the time this season. In fact, third, most often in the NFL, he loves to send added pressure. The bucks front four hasn't gotten home as reliably as I'm sure he'd prefer. Even if they did, he'd still blitz it's in his DNA. So there you go. Jared Goff. How do you deal with added pressure from the Detroit lions? Fascinated to see that. Mike Evans has a chance to play in this game. If you'll remember, injured his hamstring in the win against New Orleans a couple weeks ago. Buccaneers had a bye week last week. Actually, hopefully an opportunity to see a couple star receivers return to action. Mike Evans at least has a chance to play upgraded to limited with his hamstring. Amon Ross St. Brown also expected back. He had an abdominal injury, sat out of the win against Carolina last week. Obviously, you love to see people at full strength. I'm interested to see. A, which one of them comes back. Hopefully they both do. Who's more ready to contribute? I'm also curious. Matchup to watch. Maybe the most interesting one on the field this week, in my opinion. Aiden Hutchinson, Tristan Wirfs. I've talked this week about Aiden Hutchinson being a sneaky, not even sneaky, just underrated defensive player of the year candidate. Absolutely blowing up for the Lions, doing a lot of work for them. Tristan Wirfs flying under the radar. One of the best right tackles in football since he got in the league. The Bucs said, that's cool. Can you play left? And he's doing it amazingly. Tristan Wirfs, five pressures allowed this season, zero sacks in his first season as the Buccaneers left tackle. Where does Aiden Hutchinson like to line up? On the right side, over the left tackle. Yes, the Lions can and have moved him around, but the vast majority of his production this season has come from the right side. So what do you do? Do you put him out there against Wirfs on the reg and, and hope he gets the better of him? Do you avoid Tristan Wirfs and move him over to the left side, move him inside, whatever you want to do with him to get him away from that matchup. Can't wait to see the chess match there. I think this is going to be a phenomenal game Two of the, you know, we know all about Philly. We know all about San Francisco, but right after that, I think Detroit Tampa will throw in Seattle as well. Three NFC teams right there on the next level, fighting for playoff positioning, potentially fighting to win their division. Both of these teams are in first place right now. Big opportunity to announce yourselves to a larger audience. Very excited for this one. All right. I'm joined now by our own Christina Pink, who is on the sideline this weekend for the New Orleans Saints at the Houston Texans. And Christina, I'm excited about this one because it's a game close to my own heart. Saints Texans, 
not a division rivalry, not a conference rivalry, but these are two teams, two cities that are really close to each other. There's, there's a lot of regionality there. There's a lot of Louisiana people in Houston as somebody from new Orleans. I've got a lot of interest in this game. I think it's going to be a rowdy environment. Just maybe, maybe a more interesting, I don't, not going to call it a rivalry, but a, a more interesting matchup than I think a lot of people want to give it credit for. Yeah. I think both fan bases are going to be, you know, John back at each other. You expect to see a lot of that, you know, the week of, um, also kind of fun connection that a lot of people don't realize is that Derek Carr lived in Houston for a little bit when his big brother was playing in the league. So he even said, this is like a little bit of a homecoming for me. I've got high school guys who have been texting me wanting to see me come back. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a fun one. I know this is actually, I, your sec- me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just know, like I said, you, you can get to Houston in an afternoon on I-10 and, yeah. uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of Louisiana people in Texas. I just, I know when the saints, and Saints and Texas, Saints, Texans, and Cowboys, those three teams, I think there's uh there's a lot more going on there than the average person maybe realizes. But this is actually this is your second game in a row with Houston. And I'm so curious. I, whenever I have somebody that does the games on, I love to get that perspective because you get to, you know, you get to meet with these guys, you get to have these production meetings. It's it's a a window into these teams that not everybody gets. And I'm curious from your perspective, from what you've seen and talked to with CJ Stroud, obviously he's playing really well, but just as impressive is that the spotlight really doesn't seem to face him, even though it's his first month in the NFL. Let me tell you, just as impressive in person, seeing the press conferences, seeing the quotes, all of his teammates have great things to say about him. They all just in talking to teammates first, before I get to him, all of them go back to, you know, there's people who doubted him in the draft and they were impressed with his um, energy before he even got to camp OTAs, um, but continued improvement. And this guy's got so much poise. He's got a ton of confidence. Uh, he says it himself. He's like, I don't flinch. And you kind of saw that, you know, being at the game this past Sunday, obviously they lost to the Falcons, but to have that go ahead touchdown late with under two minutes on the clock, drive this team down the field as a rookie quarterback um, was, you know, it was a lot, but coaching staffs, right. And talking to both coaching staffs going into this game, especially from the Falcons defensive side of things, these guys were saying going into that game, this is elite level play that we're seeing at the quarterback position and not for a rookie. They're saying just elite level play um, because of what they'd seen from him the first few weeks of the season. I mean, the kid has got it. I obviously, and I mean, the Texans drafted him number two overall, right? And you don't mm-hmm. do that without feeling really strongly about him. But I wonder if they're surprised isn't the right word, but I wonder if they even thought that he would look this ready this quickly. I don't think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't use the word surprised. Um, I think right. it's been the consistent improvement that you've seen going back. Like what 
I hear from the coaches is that it's like the coachableness of him. Like he doesn't make the same mistake twice. And I know everybody's been talking about the fact that he hasn't thrown a pick, you know, he's got the record for the start, but like he hasn't thrown a pick going back to like week one, I believe of the preseason. So he threw a pick against new England in week one of preseason and fixed the mistakes. And so it's that part of it. It's the pocket presence. It's the awareness. It's the decision-making. They haven't given up a sack in three weeks. And of course, a lot of that is the protection, but it's also the fact that he doesn't put um, himself in harm's way and he gets the ball out. He makes quick decisions. And so these guys have all been pretty impressed with him. I was as well. It's going to be a heck of a challenge this weekend. Actually, the, the New Orleans Saints have not allowed a 300 yard passer in 31 games, which is I mean, in 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 the day and age where offense is everything in the NFL, I mean, that's absolutely crazy. Obviously, every week is a challenge. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that that this this should be on paper, at least the biggest challenge for CJ Stroud up to this point. Yeah, I mean, look, and he's faced some good defenses, but the Saints defense has been, you know, uh, one of the best in the league over the last several years. So they're going to have, you know, a tough test. They're going to bring a ton of pressure, as I mentioned. Um, They haven't given up a sack as of late, but with the Saints defense, you've got guys that are making plays at all levels. It's like you got Granderson making plays, Cam Jordan, um, Demario Davis has obviously um, been great in their linebacking course, but guys on the back end as well, like Tyron Matthew at the pick six um, this past Sunday. So this defense doesn't let up. And so, you know, it's going to be a good week of prep for them to see what they throw at them. Teams face rookies. They try to mix things up. They try to confuse them. That hasn't phased him as of yet. So let's see if that, you know, will be the case this past Sunday, this Sunday. On the flip side, the Saints offense has to be, they've got to be in a better mood this week. Uh, you know, they get over the 30 point mark, which first time they've done that all year, easily the best performance of their early season offensively. I can't imagine that it's a coincidence that Alvin Kamara is is working back into the lineup. And I'm just curious for your thoughts on what having such a versatile player does for the Saints offense, just being able to attack in a variety of different ways. Yeah, he does a little bit of everything. That guy's just different. Um, but before we get to Kamara, I think it's also important to note that like Derek Carr full participant as of Thursday, as far as practice, you know, and he's been dealing with the AC joint. So it's been something for the Saints offense. You got Derek Carr the last couple of weeks, not being at full strength before that you have no Alvin Kamara. Um, But when Kamara came in, he was not happy um, with their performance the week prior made it very clear that the offense needs to get him more touches. There was obviously a lot of talk about that leading up to their game against new England. Uh, He got the football. He got the football a lot. Um, they stretched the field a little bit more. I think the week prior, it was pretty crazy. Had like 13 receptions, but all of them, if not maybe most of them all came behind the line of scrimmage, which is pretty insane, right? Like this guy is dynamic and he's done it pretty consistently as you see for like the last seven years in the NFL. He's special player. Um, as many people know, he just broke the record for the saints as far as touchdowns with the franchise. Um, but the guy he broke the record for, Marcus Colston, did it in 10 seasons. And so I thought what was cool is he's done it in seven and he's going to shatter this record that's probably going to stand with the Saints for a long time. So he does a little bit of everything and he's just as dynamic in the pass game as he's been in the run game for him over the years. 
it makes me feel really old to know <laughs> I grew, I grew up watching Marcus Colston do his thing and now you know I'm old enough that his records are getting broken by somebody that's come into the I mean yeah like you said Alvin I know he's a veteran but he hasn't been in the NFL all that long I mean seven right years to be is, like oh, okay yeah. this guys breaking records and then you right think, like huh. <laughs> And it, I I think that is it is a very valid point. You know, when when Derek Carr hurt his shoulder, I I at least thought you know this is probably a, a two or three week absence. Maybe even you need to go on injured reserve. And he misses no time at all. And and yeah, I think having a weapon like Kamara, I'm sure the pain is not completely gone, but that that probably makes uh, makes life a little bit easier for Derek Carr. Well, yeah, and listen, the pain feels a lot better when you're coming off of a blowout win on the road to do what they did in New England. So I'm sure that makes everything a little bit easier. But for him to fully participate and practice up through, you know, Wednesday, not even be on the injury report at all on Thursday is going to be really crucial for these guys. Um, they, you know, the NFC South is just kind of hard to figure out, right? You had all these teams that started 2-0 and and then boom, they all kind of stubbed their toe. And so everyone's trying to figure things out. And as you mentioned, the Saints defense has been dominant and you just need an offense that's a little bit complimentary. So maybe they'll start to figure things out over the next couple of weeks. But Houston's defense is no slouch either. I mean, D'Amico Ryans knows a thing or two about it. I think that's, that's what makes a, a game like this so fun is, I mean, look, we know we know San Francisco is good. We know Miami is good. These are both teams that we're still trying to figure out, and they've both had some really fun moments. They've both had a couple losses, so should be a really fun one. Christina Pink, enjoy the call. I appreciate it. No, thank you. All right, that brings us to the end of the previews. That means it is my favorite time of the week officially. It is the hurry-up offense. We're not going to go through every matchup in the NFL this week in detail. You'd be here all day. Nobody wants that. I would be, I'd lose my voice, be terrible. So if you're new to the show, it's the hurry up offense. My wonderful producers are going to give me three and a half minutes. We've got nine more matchups on the docket. I'm going to take you through them as quickly as possible and get you into the weekend. Let's do it. Starting now the Ravens and the Titans, a third straight London game Titans underdogs. Once again, four, four and a half points after losing their first game as favorites, they lose to the Colts as favorites last week. I fully expect the Ravens to clean up their act and not play such an ugly game, but this is the Titans we're talking about. So I'm well prepared to wake up at six 45, miss the first five minutes because it's early and somehow the Ravens will already be trailing. That's just how these games work. Panthers at Dolphins. Good news, Panthers. You've got some winnable games coming up on the schedule, but it's not this one. Even if Carolina plays a great game and even without Devon HN, I just think the Dolphins have too much firepower. Should be an easy Miami win. Commanders at Falcons. Very quietly. Maybe not that quietly if you're a Commanders fan. The Washington defense has been just massively disappointing. 26th in DVOA. I know it's it's getting very critical, very hot seat for defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Given up 96 rushing yards or more in every single game. The Bears hit them for 178 last week. You might be aware Atlanta likes to run the ball. Desmond Ritter shouldn't need the heroics he needed last week. I like the Falcons. Colts at Jags. I'm trusting you, Jags, to be the good Jags and take care of business. But 
This is an AFC South game. Even in Jacksonville, you never know what's going to happen in these division games. It's also a Gardner Minshew revenge game. The former Jags quarterback gets the start against his former team. I'm picking the Jags. I don't feel good about it at all. Never trust the AFC South. Seahawks at Bengals might be the most entertaining game of the day. I really, I hope it lives up to that type of hype. It looks like T Higgins is going to play. That's exciting for Cincinnati. Jamal Adams is cleared from concussion protocol and left tackle. Charles cross is ready to go for Seattle. That's exciting for the Seahawks. Two good offenses, two defenses that are fine, but probably shouldn't put up too much in the way of resistance. I'm leaning toward Joe Burrow and the guys. If he's healthy, he looked healthy against Carolina. Seahawks are a different beast. I hope we see a lot of points. A lot of touchdowns should be a fun game. Vikings at bears. I have no clue what to do with this. A lot of hype on Justin Fields, two big performances, got the win against the commanders on the road. Vikings feel like an afterthought at this point. Justin Jefferson's on IR one and four. Something tells me though, it's Kirk cousins in a noon game. I love that. It's Brian Flores. The Vikings defense isn't great, but I like his odds of dialing something up for Justin Fields. If the Vikings lose this game, we're talking about trading off assets. I think, I think they find a way to get it done at soldier field. Give me the Vikings Patriots Raiders, Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels coaching in a game that's being played at the super bowl host site, but this couldn't be further from the super bowl. I don't know. Somebody has to win this game. I think the Raiders are a better team, which it's just weird to think about how far the Patriots have fallen, but here we are Cardinals at Rams. The line here, seven points in favor of the Rams, which feels really high. That makes me feel really suspicious. These are two really fun offenses. I'm just hoping for an entertaining game. I like the Rams, but seven points. This isn't a juggernaut. I don't know. That's, that's a weird line. Giants at bills. Sorry, Giants. There's 17 guys on your injury report, including your quarterback. I don't know how I'm supposed to go against that. Give me the Bills big on Sunday night football. No, no win for Brian Dable in his return to Buffalo. Guys, that does it. It is time for week six. We will be back here on Monday morning to recap everything. We'll go through the games. We'll go through the news. We'll talk to the booths. We'll preview Monday night football, Cowboys, Chargers. It's going to be a blast. How can you not get romantic about football? Go follow us on Apple podcasts. Go find us on Spotify, all of the social platforms. You know what to do. I'll see y'all Monday. Appreciate it. Catch you next time.